It is June 10th, and we'd like to welcome you to the Great Lakes Festival Producers Network, which is a live weekly roundtable discussion during the growing season for four commercial vegetable producers in the Great Lakes and Midwest region. We broadcast live via Zoom at 12.30 Eastern Time, 11.30 a.m. Central Time, every Wednesday from the first week of May to the first week of September. CCA credits are available for today's episode, so if you are a certified crop advisor, please enter your name and your email in the chat box, and we will follow up with you by sending a QR code. So again, my name is Matt Kleinhens. I'm an extension specialist with The Ohio State University and one of your co-hosts today, Katie Cruiser, an extension educator with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Uh, an extension is, is also co-hosting. Mike Reinke with Michigan State University is our Zoom engineer working behind the scenes to keep us all on the right track. Katie, what are we going to discuss today? Hi, everyone. Um, the focus of today's episode is working with University Diagnostic Labs, Keys for Success. As expert guests today, we are joined by Kyle Broderick with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Lena Rodriguez-Salamanca with Iowa State University. Uh, Kyle serves as the Plant and Pest Diagnostics Extension Educator and in that capacity, he coordinates the Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic, which helps diagnose plant disease and insect problem, problems and provides management recommendations. Lena serves as the Extension Plant Pathologist and Diagnostician at Iowa State University. In the ISU Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic, Lena focuses her efforts on disease diagnostic diagnosis and its importance in disease management and IPM implementation. So we've got a lot lined up today. So for those joining us by phone or video link, if you have questions for Kyle or Lena, please use the Q&A box and upvote other people's questions and make sure to upvote your favorite questions. Our guests will tackle those questions in the back half of the show. So I think we'll go ahead and get the um, interview started. Kyle, we're going to start with you. Um, can you outline the services that the UNL Diagnostic Lab offers um, and consider if someone is weighing um, whether to submit a sample, how should they decide and um, what do you recommend they submit as a sample? Well, the, uh, we kind of covered some of it in the introduction, but services we offer really are uh, disease, ident uh, disease identification and diagnosis. Um, we deal with um, identification of plants, insects, um, all those things as well. Uh, we also um, will work on, um, can diagnose herbicide injury purely um, based, on, uh, based on symptomology. We're not set up to do any residue testing for herbicides, unfortunately. Um, and we also uh, will do uh, nutrition deficiencies, but again, based only on, only on symptomology. So just kind of how, how things look. But I would say 90% of, of what, what we do is, is pure disease diagnosis. Um, so fungi, bacteria, viruses, and, and nematodes. The most um, and then as far as the second part of the question was uh, the type of samples to send in. Was that correct, Katie? Sorry, I... Yeah, no, that was a lot. Um, so someone is thinking about sending in a sample. So... Um, what what should they use to determine whether they should send a sample in and how would you recommend them submitting a sample? Yeah, so the, you know, the main question that I always ask whenever someone, I get, I'll get a phone call, especially for 
um, for landscape landscape things is 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 the plant not looking normal um, and so is there something something unique built going on with it and that can be difficult depending on depending on the type of plant depending on the um, species um, the cultivar that's out there maybe this leaf irrigation is common these you, um, you can't have some some leaf spots or something like that that just occur and are not a disease. So I always want to know what is what is normal, and when you're seeing something abnormal, then we can then we can start to have a conversation about about what's going on. Um, I also like to have so in, with that I ask that people will send in healthy plant tissue as well, and so so I can see what is going on on their side, so I can really compare the the unique situation to the to the normal thing. Yeah. Lena, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? Well, uh, I wanted to. Well, first, thank you for having me. Uh, this is exciting. Uh, vegetables are near and dear to my heart. That's what I uh, did for grad school. So it's wonderful to talk about vegetables. Um, what I would add, um, what we do here in Iowa State, uh, first should, I should say, we are part of the National Plant Diagnostic Network. And what that means is that every uh, state in the United States will have a land-grant university clinic like uh, Kyle's in Nebraska or ours in Iowa State. To keep that in mind, because it, it's a really good tool for all of you growers out there. Um, in terms of uh, services that we offer, very similar to Kyle, we have plant problem diagnosis, where we would look for bacteria, fungi, viruses, um, with different tests uh, and looking for that evidence of pathogens. Um, and I think the other part, we do have uh, nematode testing. We do nematode testing on soil. Um, but also on tissue. Um, and that is very helpful, especially when you are trying to pinpoint a problem and you're at that point where you're thinking, maybe my problem is in the soil, maybe it's some tiny worms that are causing some, some problems. Um, as far as uh, when submitting a sample, um, I would say what the trouble um, with a lot of crops and with vegetables especially, is that there are problems that can look very much alike. So you may be thrown only by the symptom. So in terms of always remember that when you're working with a clinic, you, the grower, are going to be our eyes in the field. So you can see, you can look at the pattern of the problem. You can take photos and video. Uh, we love to see that type of information because it helps us narrow down our list of suspects and then focus on the type of testing that will be conducting in the clinic. The clinics, we have specific lab, laboratory space and equipment where we can do a lot of different testing. Um, but it's also very important that we have representative samples that are in good shape and that are male uh, on a timely basis. The things that stay in the, in the mail for too long suffer very much in transit. And so that limits what we can do um, in our labs. So just to summarize, scouting is very important for you all. Um, look at things often, early, know where you're looking for, where are your key problems. Um, keep your eye skills or patterns um, that you may see in the field or in the high tunnel. What are the symptoms um, when they started? And take photos and video. We do love that. Um, and then when it's time to uh, decide if you're sending us a sample, Keep in mind that certain symptoms uh, that you may see on the leaves, the pathogen may actually be in the vascular system or in the roots. So then you want to try and collect um, 
a whole plant, three to five will be great. Um, and you can always reach out to us before you even collect a sample uh, so we can guide you. That's absolutely super. Um, both of you have raised some, some excellent points and a lot to build on in the conversation here. Maybe taking just a tiny half a step back, if you will, and then a full step forward for both, uh, you know, Lena and Kyle. Kyle, you mentioned, you know, in the, in the decision-making process of when to submit a sample, um, obviously, you know, somebody on the other end, you know, potential stakeholder, sees something that catches their eye and they're concerned about, maybe that's enough of a, of a prompt for them to go forward. Um, is there more at, uh, that you would recommend at that time, uh, especially picking up on what Lena was saying about the preparation, the collection and preparation and submission of a proper sample? Do you typically, I know I'm uh, adding on along here, but do you typically get samples directly from stakeholders or sometimes is there an in-between person, another extension person, uh, an educator, a specialist, a consultant? Um, you know, uh, when they're deciding to submit a sample, what are the what's the checklist that they should they should perhaps consider as to whether or not that will actually be a productive process as opposed to taking another course of action? Yeah. Um, so really, as far as who who sends in samples, everyone. Um, so my favorite answer to multiple choice questions is yes. So we get them directly from the stakeholders. We get them from extension educators. We'll get them from crop consultants, um, just friends and family, and other. Uh, sometimes we'll get samples from from other diagnostic clinics as well. Um, and so, again, as Lena mentioned, I am a, um, a member of the National Plant Diagnostic Network. Different labs have different specialties, and and so I know if there ha if there are some unique virus situations that I'm looking for, I'll often then send those um, send those to another lab that has more more experience working with viruses. But um, big thing that I also want to uh, going back to what Lena had mentioned about scouting early and being out in the being out in those fields and looking for patterns and that's that's very important um, in helping to determine whether or not it's, it's a disease that you're dealing with or is this something more environmental um, maybe a fertility issue or you know we had a lot of late free, we had a late freeze in Nebraska that caused major issues um, so really what is what is this what is the field uh, what is the high tunnel looking like what sort of patterns are we seeing? Is, is injury sided? Is it mainly on um, in one area? Is there a gradient that's occurring? Or is it tend to be tend to be more pocketed where it's showing up, where it started out and in one small area and then has, has maybe grown? That's the other big thing is most diseases, there will be a, a progression that you see. Whereas for a lot of the environmental issues, that's going to be more of a static problem or the injury will occur, and then that's just kind of that's just kind of it. So, so really, um, as far as what to look for, and for will it be a will it be a productive sample? The looking at that symptom distribution and onset of symptomology is very important in determining whether or not it's a disease. And since my lab can't test for a lot of these environmental conditions, we don't we don't do tissue analysis for nutrition or herbicides. All we're really doing is, is looking at it then, so we can't give a definite answer um, in those situations. If it is a disease, if it's a pathogen, we can find that. But but the big thing is, what are you seeing in the field, and and are we having this uh, this progression of symptoms and a spread from one plant to another 
that's really important in, determ in determining whether or not it's a um, it's going to be a produ productive sample for a disease diagnostic. Other thing that I would really want to mention is if you are mailing a sample, uh, mail it early in the week. Um, drop it. You know, you can go ahead and collect it maybe um, Saturday or Sunday evening. Pop it in the refrigerator, and then Monday morning, pop it. Uh, throw it in the mail. Worst thing that can happen is someone sends a sample to us um, maybe on a on a Wednesday. We maybe get it on Monday, and by then it can be it can be pretty mushy. And all sorts of secondary things have come in and, and colonized the tissue, the fungus, the bacteria, the nematode, the virus. That's probably still there, but it's going to be completely covered up by a hundred other things. So, Lena, there's a theme emerging here. And you, I think you started the train going down that track in terms of uh, listing out the steps that um, people need to take, you know, you would advise people taking to help you be effective and uh, to help folks in that networking like Kyle be effective. Um, is there anything that has been missed so far? Um, and, you know, feel free to mention if there's a website or a fact sheet or uh, anything along those lines that's avail that, uh, available that would, you know, provide this list pretty succinctly. I know that from my point of view, anyway, the diagnosticians like yourself and Kyle, you know, they, their work is only as good, perhaps, as the sample and the histories that are provided to you to work with, right? Both of which are really, really important. So, um, you know, as the layman, I would say, know exactly what your diagnostician needs and give it to them in order for them to be effective. What, what have we missed, if anything? Yeah, so we, we put a lot of thought uh, and effort on our websites. Uh, and if you go to ours, it's uh, clinic.ipm.istate.edu. We have a section for vegetables and annual plants. Um, I have a couple videos there. Um, if you want to watch those before you want to collect anything, very short, less than two minutes. Um, I think probably what we have missed is that, that part, information. Um, we like to have a submission form um, that accompany your sample. And we have built in a lot of information there that you can check or that you can write. Um, and information is key. Um, anything from uh, when it started, what are the symptoms, what is the variety um, that you're seeing the problem, and just across varieties, um, what chemicals um, have been sprayed, um, anything that you can think of, seed treatment, um, you know, anything will help us out. Um, and so sometimes, you know, people will say, oh, I shouldn't put this information, but you know, when you go through our uh, terms and conditions, everything that you tell us is confidential. We will not disclose. You know, we all make mistakes. If you forgot to clean your sprayer, stuff happens. But then it will have us go us in circles thinking we need to run all this test when maybe it was just that your spray was not clean. Your sprayer was not clean. So all that information is great. If you have a hunch on what it may be, or if you have a problem in that field in the past that you're afraid it may be returning, you know, that information is great. Um, and also what you have tried, uh, you know, in terms of uh, practices, tactics, anything like that will be phenomenal to have. I know that Katie's going to, going to has, has a, a number of follow-up questions to this. And as we transition from, you know, collecting the sample and deciding to submit a sample to, to the next stages that uh, we'll address, um, it just reminds me, this whole process was kind of somewhat reminds me of you know, going to a doctor for a visit, there's usually a form to fill out before you <laughs> see the, you know, see the caregiver. 
lot of check boxes, a lot of questions. And then, uh, of course, during the visit itself, there can be a lot of questions as well. And in that case, we're all obviously talking about our own health. But when it comes to the health of our crops, I think, you know, um, you know, Lena, you might have mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, you have the, the, the person submitting a sample has to be the eyes and the ears of the diagnostician in the field. And that's that's really, really key. So, yeah, context is so important. Um, so people will send samples into a lab to you and then um, you go through a series of testing to figure out what the problem is. And then you will send a lab report back to them. So um, can you go through the process of um, someone receiving that report and how they interpret that and act on those results? Um, Kyle, do you want to start? We'll start with you and then Lena will um, have you answer after him. Yeah, so the, uh, I mean, the reports, I, I try to make them, try to make them fairly straightforward. Um, and so it, the, Actually, we have a we have a reporting database that that we use, and we can print the reports straight off from there. And so the the top of the report will have the have the, the crop on it, and then also we'll have the basically the list of problems that that that, that I have found. Um, and then typically, the what I think the main problem is going to be what's on top. So you know, we can, as Lena will. Um, probably say as well, we can find, we can find a pathogen on pretty much anything. Um, however, is the pathogen the reason that we're seeing this injury occur? That's really the question. Or is it this environmental issue that, that happened? Um, so, so we'll have the, have the list of, uh, the list of, um, the list of problems that we've found with the top one being what I deem to be the most important. And then uh, just some fairly straightforward management recommendations. If it's a, um, depending on the situation, if it is a, a, a crop, I'll often, often provide a lot of, a lot of chemical um, application um, controls. And so any fungicides that can be used, any nutrition changes that, that may, may affect um, disease potential. I also like to provide a lot of the cultural management tips as well. Um, if it's a, an organic producer, I like to have I like to get that information beforehand, just so that I can do some um, some extra extra reading to to find out these the organic practices that may be may be included. But really, we try to make it very straightforward. I do a lot of bulleted lists. Um, just say do this, 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 and this. Um, but yeah, Lena, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Um... I think uh, just like Kyle was describing, we also have that database and um, we will, once we receive your sample, you'll get a notification that we have your sample and also to make sure that that email gets to you uh, and it doesn't go into junk mail. Um, we often will call you or email you um, with questions that we may have. It's um, very good in our submission form. You can request certain rapid tests that we can do on one day, especially for viruses, if that's what you're concerned about. Um, now, after that, we'll go through uh, triage, and it's important that we explain that sometimes, you know, bacteria eh, may take a day or two to grow, but then from there, we have to follow some steps to determine what it is. Uh, likewise, for um, fungi, we have to then take pieces of uh, the, the tissue that is infected and culture it, put it in like this little jelly-looking um, plates. And fungi take a lot of time to grow. It could be seven days before we see anything uh, and even 14 days before we see structures. So that's why sometimes our reports take uh, longer and 
we all hope that it was a lot faster. But um, now when it comes with the report, we'll give you some options for management, but it's always important to remember that it's, sometimes it's not prescriptive. Um, if you have a virus, all that we may say is learn for the future, pull those plans, protect the healthy ones, um, and consider this other management strategy. So not everything uh, will have a fungicide or an insecticide that we will recommend. In terms of recommendations, I relied heavily on the Midwest Production uh, Guide. Um, and so I'm always excited about, you know, being able to explain to people, you can buy this book, you can go online. There's all this, uh, you know, great resources that you can use um, because some problems are short-term, but a lot of others are long-term. And then Katie remain in the soil or in the high tunnel. And so you have to then think about the future. What is the rotation that you're going to be uh, having in place? Uh, are you going to invest in grafting varieties? What is that you are going to be doing uh, in the future? Oh, thank you. That's important. Um, I, I know you mentioned being part of this um, greater network um, for lab diagnostics, but um, do you work with other experts in the process of identifying um, what a sample should include or how to act on that lab's input or um, throughout any of that, any part of that process? Uh, I, I know I, I, I certainly, I certainly do. And I, you know, there's a, there are a lot of diseases out there. There are a lot of plants out there and I, I can't know them all. Um, and so luckily um, it, I do have other pathologists um, at the, here at the University of Nebraska that I, that I can reach out to um, if I, if I have specific questions. Otherwise it's a lot of Really, just a lot of people at, at other universities. Um, if there is, if I get a question about Christmas trees, I'm probably going to send it, um, send an email to a guy in North Carolina that I know who does a lot of work on Christmas trees. Um, and so, really, it is just, it's just reaching out for for a lot of these samples, and 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 the, also for what sort of sample to get can be very good, especially for some of these um, the, the more specialty crops. Again, as Lena mentioned, maybe we have symptoms that are showing up on the leaf, but it's a root issue or it's a problem with the vascular tissue. I may not know that, and I may only request a, um, say, a foliar, say, a, some leaf tissue would work. Or after conversation with the expert, I know, no, actually, I need, I need to get some of that root ball material as well. But those networks are really important. Yep. I'm glad the universities can all work together on that. Yeah, we're drawing near uh, the end of, of this uh, this portion of the program. We're going to be transitioning in just a few minutes to the Q&A. And I know that there are a number of excellent questions already in the queue. So don't stop them coming uh, coming forth. Um, and certainly if you want to participate in that portion of the program, please do so. But before we wrap this portion up, I'd like to just toss another question out to Lena and, and Kyle. Um, you know, the diagnostic network that you talked about, um, is, a, is a formal network of the, of the labs. Uh, in addition to that network, we obviously have a very you know, sizable community of pathologists, entomologists, weed scientists, horticulturists, um, and the like to kind of, that, that support uh, that diagnostic network lab in, in some way and rely on it very, very heavily. Are you seeing with, in, in your day-to-day -day activity recently, are you seeing any problems that are emerging that might be of regional significance? You know, we're, we're speaking to you while you're in Iowa and Nebraska. Are there problems that you're seeing there that um, might be regionally significant? Or are you seeing the encroachment or the development of a problem that you do started elsewhere and, and now it's coming to your, your part of the world? And if not, maybe that's a good thing. You know, that's uh, um, 
want to keep keep them limited best as we can. Well, I might add to that. So if you if you are finding um, something like phytophthora or that you know has it can have quite an impact on vegetable producers. Like, is there a way to communicate to regionally to other labs that you're saying, hey, I'm seeing this problem and as a way to inform growers in the area, hey, you might need to keep an eye out for this. Um, yeah, so uh, I know we will do some um, with, at least with, with some, some, some different rust diseases, we'll do some rust monitoring. Um, a lot of our rusts blow up from the south and so it's, again, working with the other diagnosticians, um, really in the, you know, I don't, um, I do a lot of, a lot of more field crops. And so wheat rust is one of the big ones, but I will get reports from Texas and then Oklahoma and then Kansas. And then once it reaches Nebraska, then I'll be sending those reports up to, up to South Dakota as well. Um, and so, yeah, there are, there are some of those. Also, if there are any disease or if there are any outbreaks of a, um, of a significant pest, then we will, we will notify other people in the region. Um, last year, there was a, uh, there was an outbreak or, well, there was some infected, um, some rodents that were infected with Phytophthora remorum that were sent kind of across the Midwest. And Phytophthora remorum is the causal agent of sudden oak death, which is a very damaging disease. And the diagnostic networks really across the region work together to to contain the issue as as best we could. Yeah, the the diagnosticians on the North Central region, um, we have monthly calls. And uh, one thing that is interesting, our lives are populated by any plant that you can imagine. So just like Kyle is saying, we talk about trees, we talk about ornamentals, vegetables, fruits, anything. Um, so. The other part that is very interesting is if we run into a very strange case, we were going for certain leads on our investigative process and those failed. We do have communication nationally for strange cases and, and we have a way that we can ask our colleagues. So absolutely at, at, a, at the state level, we have our specialists and at the regional level, but also nationally. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, for, for warning systems or, or, forecasting, um, it's good to, to remind all vegetable growers that, especially for those diseases that um, are windborne, uh, there are forecasting systems out there where you can kind of track down where the reports are. If um, a plant with either downy mildew or uh, potato late blight gets to me, I will confirm it and then go ahead and put it on that type of forecasting uh, system. Again, keeping the confidentiality of where it came from and all that, but that way you know that it reached a state and then you have to get um, your fungicide toolbox ready to prevent damage. Yes, before, before Katie wraps up, wraps up this portion of our program and transitions us to the next section, I'll, I'll just mention again that the Great Lakes Vegetable Working Group uh, spans from the far from the east to the, to the Midwest. That uh, includes, of course, uh, specialists and educators uh, in many counties and all of those states. It also includes uh, members of the industry. And so I'll just echo what uh, Kyle and Lena have, have said about the network nature uh, of the, and the capacity that that network has to identify and, and uh, help people deal, develop a solution to a problem. Those networks are always active. And, and so we draw on expertise wherever it might lie. 
and that's a that's a that's a terrific asset to to growers throughout the entire region. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely echo that. Um, all right. Well, I think yeah, we'll we'll start to transition to the um, uh, live Q and A portion. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today, and a special thanks to our expert guests Kyle Broderick and Lena Rodriguez Salamanca for sharing their expertise and experience. Um, Matt, what's coming up next week? Next week, June 17th, again, same time, 12.30 Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Central Time. The topic then will be predicting pest pressure, um, a, good, a good transition from this particular program. That program, the program next week, will, of course, focus not only on the biology of the pests and diseases, but also, as, as Lena mentioned, the forecasting systems that are in place that draw on weather patterns, that draw on uh, other data to help people get a more advanced warning, if you will, or advanced notice of potential issues. So again, it's at the same time, uh, same place, um, same place where you register for this call, same time. And if you email us with any questions that come to mind, along with your phone number, to greatlakesvegwg at gmail.com. I'll say that one more time, greatlakesvegwg at gmail.com. Take full advantage of the network that has uh, uh, been in place for, for many years. And uh, in, in fact, this uh, production is supported by the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. And there are pest integrated pest management centers around the country. So whatever your region, tap into that center and uh, take full advantage of the resources that it has at its capacity to help you. So we'll transition to the live Q&A at this point. And um, for those of you online on Zoom, you have three options for participating live. The first way is to put questions in the Q&A box. And I see that a number have already accumulated, which is a great sign, and they are excellent questions. The second option that you have is to uh, upvote someone else's question if you want to push it to the top of our list to discuss and on the outside chance that we don't get to all the questions. The chat box should be used for comments so we don't lose track of the questions coming in. Finally, if you feel the need to speak up, you can raise your hand and we can unmute you so uh, you can speak together and we can hear you. We will handle as many of the online upvoted questions as we can before moving to the telephones. And if you're dialing in from a telephone, you can raise your hand by pushing star nine on your handset. So um, I noticed that we have uh, four, and again, for the, for the CCA uh, certified crop advisors who are still with us, if you have not already done so, provide your name and email address in the chat box. I know that three uh, or so already have, and we will follow up with you by providing a QR code so you can get uh, credit for this session. Um, I see a question in the uh, in the chat box: um, Has bacterial leaf excuse me has bacterial leaf streak been found in Iowa sweet corn? And if so, how severe have been the yield losses? And I guess maybe that might be more directed uh, to to Kyle or Lena, whoever might have seen it. Here, here in Iowa, at least now, uh, not in sweet corn yet, but I think it's a matter of uh, we have so much field <laughs> corn compared to uh, sweet corn. Um, yeah, we, we see it. Um, we've seen it in sweet corn in Nebraska, so it's just a, just a matter of time. So for those that do not, uh, don't have the, uh, you know, the particulars of that disease really handy, um, could you just share with us, you know, Kyle or Lena, the, 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 the top uh, aspects of how it's transmitted, you know, when, when does it typically show up, um, where people would be looking for it if they're not necessarily familiar with it? 
Uh, yeah, I can I can talk about that. Um, for, it is a fairly it is a fairly new disease, and so there's well, there's a lot about it that we don't know a whole lot of, that we don't really know yet as well. So um, we identified it in Nebraska for the first time in 2016, and it's since been spread throughout the region. Um, and really, what we've what we are discovering is that um, this bacterium has uh, can survive on a lot of weedy hosts, um, and so a lot of and so one of the best management situations is going to be controlling the other um, controlling the other grassy weeds in a cornfield uh, to control bacterial leaf streak, and it can show up. Really, any time of the year, uh, we've seen it as actually as early as uh, June seventh, um, a couple of years ago. We had it. We had it start to show up um, in in some fields, but typically we don't see it really, um, really causing a lot of injury uh, until until uh, early early July, early to mid July. And unfortunately, this is one of those diseases that we don't really have any any good products that are um, that have been developed to to spray for it. And so control really is just about mitigation of this. And Lena, thank you for finding that article from the Crop Protection Network as well. Yeah, I just placed in the chat a link. Um, they have really good photos and uh, you can train yourself on what you're looking for for this disease. And for those listening in after the fact here, um, and Lena mentioned that link, if you have trouble locating that link, You'll be able to reach out to any of the five of us here on this call for sure. We can get you that link um, or somebody else near your location will probably have access to it as well. But don't don't uh, give up getting that link if that's of interest to you. I will try to get that um, in the notes of the recording. Um, we've got another question. Is there a new diagnostic technology that you're really excited about? Um, yeah, I, uh, some of the... Some of the new molecular techniques are are pretty pretty fascinating. Um, they do have some um, some rapid uh, some of these rapid uh, DNA basically DNA um, sequencing um, equipment that's coming out there. So in theory, you can be out in out in the field, collect your sample, grind it, um, put a drop uh, on this in the in this little uh, droplet or piece of equipment, and within 30 minutes, you'll have a you'll have a DNA sequence of what of what it is. Um, some of that stuff is very fascinating, but it's also kind of in the earlier stages. It is becoming more more use um, more common, but I those are some toys that I don't I don't have in my clinic yet. So I'm I'm still still mostly microscopes. Yeah, I guess I have two. I think that there's so many. Um viruses that um, are hard for us to diagnose in the clinic and we don't have that battery of tests available all the time and so more and more there's this like whole sequencing of that tissue where you can try and kind of pull out what you find. I think that that's on the early stages but I, I think it could be really interesting um, if we get that on our clinics. Um, but I, I think the, the one that I look for the most is you know, when we get a sample, symptoms occurred already. You may be experiencing your field um, losses. So I look forward to the imaging technologies uh, for detection, even before your button line has been affected. So there is a lot more these days where plant pathologists are um, playing with the idea of taking photos of fields and plants um, to try and find that sweet spot where you can say, okay, this is changing on the plant. 
it's time to do something and it may be this disease based on those variables. Um, I, I hope that that could help, you know, all, all growers, um, vegetable growers in our region um, in the future, but it may take 20 years or more, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, that diagnostic technology piece is uh, fascinating and um, it has so many implications uh, for, like Kyle was saying, diagnosis, and if you will, diagnosis in the field, or at least ramping up the diagnostic process in the field, beginning right then and there, to differentiating virus A from virus B in the lab, um, doing it more quickly, doing it with smaller tissue, smaller samples, and, and the like. So it's uh, definitely something to pay attention to. Um, we have a question also about nematodes, and uh, nematode samples seem to take a long time to get back, meaning uh, I'm guessing that they mean reports. Um, is there a way to speed up that diagnostic process when it comes to nematodes? And I'll just put that out to whoever wants to, to tackle it first. Well, so in our lab, um, there's three of us, um, and so uh, my colleague Ed is uh, who um, processes and, and works with the reports for nematodes. Um, but, it, but it is an involved process, um, you know, after a good soil sampling, there's all the steps that have to go through. The soil has to uh, sometimes uh, dry out and all those things. And, and it's also one of our most popular um, services. So we, we get a bulk of our samples are uh, nematodes. So it's a, um, we wish we could have more capacity, um, more people processing them. Um, and that's, that's why uh, sometimes those take longer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one that we continue to work to make the results uh, faster but the demand is high and I, I i second that we have the have the same same issue but it's it's a long involved process um typically just the nematode extraction may take um, depending on what we're, what we're after it may be a tw maybe a 24 to 48 hour process just for the extraction and then we have to figure out what what nematodes are we looking at and there are a lot of nematodes that look very similar and so we have some cryptic species Often a lot of ours, uh, we end up having having to do molecular analysis to find out what species it is, and that can add another another day or two to the process as well. A quick follow-up question before we leave that entirely, and obviously showing that I'm not a nematologist, <laughs> but can nematodes be tested for at times other than the season when there is perhaps less traffic through the lab, or at times uh, when there's less traffic through the lab? It depends on depends on what type of nematode we're dealing with, um, and so. It's, a, if it's a, one of our cyst-forming nematodes, typically those will remain in that, that rhizosphere the whole year. And so I, that's actually one of the times that I recommend people go out and um, test for, for cyst nematodes is after harvest. Um, the, field is, the field is clean. They can walk through it. They can go to those problem spots and, and pull a sample. And then after harvest, you know, if it does take me an extra week or two, to get that sample back to you, it's not not as much of an issue than either typically. Um, but then other other nematodes that are going to be more uh, the root feeders, you know, a lot of those will migrate within the soil profile, and they may migrate six feet down into the soil profile, and it's going to be really difficult to capture any of. So the answer to that is really it, it depends on what nematode we're we're dealing with. Interesting. Um, so we've got one more question. Um, do you, does your lab test seed for seed-borne pathogens? So I can start, at least here in Iowa State, um, the seed goes to the ISU seed lab. They are dedicated uh, seed lab testing. Um, we do, we will do some of that, but again, I will, I often will send, um, send samples off to, off to the Iowa State seed lab testing too. 
Well, it's good to see all the collaboration in the agnostic world. So that's great. We're checking one last time for questions in the in the uh, Q&A box, in the chat box. Um, Lena, Kyle, it's been fantastic to work with you. Are there any uh, waiting, if there are any questions, last minute questions submitted, but are there any last um, thoughts that you would have on uh, the, what you, your vantage point of the farm from, from where you see it and what a uh, you know, number one recommendation people would take about working with you? I think my main one would be don't wait too long. Uh, when I get uh, tomatoes in November, I just made a really frowny face and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> What can I do with this? Yeah, um, similar, we we can't diagnose anything from a dead plant. Um, and so if it's the, we always want to have something that is not fully dead yet. So the major do's and don'ts that are probably at the websites and in other locations uh, for how your you know lab functions and uh, certainly other labs as well, if they happen, to, folks happen to be uh, working with a lab in Ohio or Michigan or, or New York or Pennsylvania, Minnesota, any other states in the region, um, is it fair to say that that all labs will be encouraging the same basic process for how to collect and prepare and submit a sample, um, and that those those steps are are fairly well known, but um, always good to have a refresher on them, right? Correct. Yeah. Excellent. So, Katie, any any last words for the group? No, I um, I appreciate our panelists for joining us and sharing their expertise, and I. Thank all the attendees for joining us today as well. And uh, we look forward to everybody joining us next week for predicting pest pressure. Absolutely. Good way to end. See you next week and good luck in the meantime. Take care. All right. Bye.